This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponco Chicken. Ponco Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponco is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponco if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, uh, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out chasemonspodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a gloomy Tuesday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. And it's not gloomy just in Atlanta. It's gloomy in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, because um, the LSU Tigers won the college football playoff championship last night and not the Alabama Crimson Tide, which my guest today is very familiar with from Bama Online, Travis Ryer. Travis, how is Tuscaloosa? Does it feel like just somber? Uh, just looking on of like what could have been this season. You know, it's interesting because I sort of pulled the fan base, Jay, in the last week or so, and the overwhelming response in relation to Monday night's championship game was that Alabama fans were pulling for LSU. I don't know if mm. that was strictly just a no-win situation when you consider that uh, Clemson has been a uh, the, the primary foil to Alabama here in the last four or five years, but um, lesser of two evils, I guess, in the eyes of the fan base. A lot of them pulling for LSU last night. I think it's just an SEC thing. My parents are Georgia people, and they were rooting for LSU last night. I think that's literally all it is. I think it's that uh, it just means more culture going on. You know, I think for some of the... uh, older folks, which I include myself in that uh, demographic, by the way, I'm not casting shade at any of our senior citizens out there. I I think that resonates more. The whole kumbaya, hold hands and chant SEC, SEC. I think though, for the younger crowd, it's more of a us against the world, even within the league. But I I do think at the end of the day, uh, whether all the fans appreciate it or not, there still is certainly a a sense of pride and affiliation. I think in a lot of instances, um, you know, LSU or an SEC team sort of validates the accomplishments of other teams in the league, even for Alabama, given all the injuries and the adversity that this team went through in 2019, uh, Alabama right now looks back and says, we were five points away from, you know, sending that game with LSU into overtime with a quarterback less than 100% and some other issues. So, um, 
you don't like it, uh, I'm sure, if you're an Alabama fan, but uh, there is a, a sense of semi-accomplishment in that this team was still very, very competitive, even with all the uh, all the issues. Well, as an Auburn guy, I still subscribe to the belief that uh, they should raise a We Held LSU to 23 Points banner um, yeah. somewhere in the facilities. Put it somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's a ring, you know, or something that, that you can get done up. Yeah, you can just about get a ring for anything these days. You win the Gator Bowl, I think you get a ring now. But um, do you really? I don't. You know, it just depends. Some of that stuff is actually bowl issue too. So you know, it it may not be directly from the the program itself. But um, no, when you look back at this season again, it kind of goes back to what we just talked about, Alabama. um, You know, had some had a self esteem boost in in relation to. LSU's accomplishments. Uh, I think you said it. Auburn played uh, LSU especially tough, and and I think even Florida um, to that extent. It, it's not like it was just a total cakewalk for LSU. Um, they certainly made it look more that way later in the season and into the postseason. But uh, you still had some resistance, at least, put up by uh, some SEC opponents. Absolutely. Um, so now that LSU's won, um, a lot of people are wondering, is this just like making jokes like this is LSU's division now, the SEC West rents through LSU, Baton Rouge. In your opinion, do you think LSU has now surpassed Alabama as the SEC West's biggest juggernaut? It's all about parameters. I mean, if you want to look at it just in terms of the accomplishments of the last three or four months, LSU is the preeminent program in college football. If you want to look at it more in terms of a you know, five, eight, 10 year run here, it's, it's still been very much Alabama. And, you know, I think it's interesting next year because of how the scheduling flips uh, within the league and, you know, the, the division opponents that, that come on and go off and how some games are going to be positioned at different places on the schedule. Um, you know, I was kind of checking that out today and, looking at some teams that, you know, you consider to be viable to the race. Uh, you know, Alabama, unlike previous years, is going to have Texas A&M and Auburn back-to-back um, in, in, late, uh, in late November. Uh, you know, and I, and I know there's some changes that, that have come for Auburn in, in that respect as well. So um, the, the dynamic itself is, is going to switch up. Uh, I, I would say right now you have to consider LSU um, at least a semi-favorite in the West because Alabama has to go there on November the 7th. But you know, LSU also has to go to Florida in the East. Uh, Alabama has to go to Tennessee. So uh, I think the rise of the East, Jay, is, is going to make things a little bit interesting, not only on that side of the conference, but in sort of toughening up some of the matchups that the West teams encounter. And I know for I know for Auburn, that's that's tough on an annual basis with Georgia uh, as the permanent crossover. But, um, you know, Tennessee's rise could make this thing with Alabama interesting once again. I mean, <laughs> I just with the Tennessee stuff, it's just let's see it. Um, Alabama just I, I don't think Nick Saban's been worried about Tennessee for a pretty long period of time. Um, do you think any part of Saban was relieved to just kind of have a year off from the playoff stress. Do you think this is like rejuvenating for him? Cause he lost so many coordinators. It was a really tough season with all the injuries as you spoke to, especially on defense. Do you think it was just like nice for him and that there is some part of him's like, Oh, I can just be on the outside looking in for once. I don't think it ever hits him that way, but okay. I think what he, I think what he understands extremely well. And you saw this as a part of the broadcast, um, you know, platforms from New Orleans uh, on Monday, he, he's still going to maximize uh, any opportunity he gets in association with the biggest stage in college football. And you saw him all over uh, the ESPN pregame, halftime, postgame coverage. Um, so he, he didn't let that opportunity go by. There is, there is a benefit to some of this, and he's benefited uh, in, in, in a couple ways in the past and not making it to the SEC championship game. Uh, got a little bit of a jump start on recruiting in some years in which still made the college football playoff like 
a couple of years ago was the case. Um, I guess what I'm saying is regardless, he, he's not going to allow opportunities to go by the boards, whether it's getting his team ready for an SEC championship game or a college football playoff, or if that's not the case, um, it, it, it allows him, it provides him with a little extra uh, sized window to get in recruiting, and not just recruiting for, say, the the, the current cycle. Uh, this is an opportunity for, for Nick and his viewpoint to you know, really get a jump start on uh, 2021, 2022. Uh, there's just not, you know, going to be, uh, much of a, a, a time where he, he takes a deep breath this time of year anyway. Um, so whether it's it involves the postseason or or it doesn't, there's still plenty going on over there off Bryant Drive. Do you think Saban knows how much longer he's going to coach? That's a great question. I I, I don't I don't think it's something he probably spends a lot of time thinking about, but. You know, I, I think being the competitor that he is, and we've said this about some previous coaches, and it turned out to not be the case, but just from my viewpoint and kind of thinking about how he's wired, I can't see Nick Saban walking away from a heater, so to speak. Uh, and a lot of times that, that involves the quarterback position. Uh, and certainly he's coming off one with Tua Tonga Bailoa. Uh, but it looks like with Bryce Young coming in here as the national player of the year at that position to go along with Mac Jones and Talia, uh, that quarterback situation looks really good. Um, but but at the same time, I I, I think he'll know when it starts slip at least a little bit. And so I just don't envision him being a guy at you know into his upper seventies, maybe approaching eighty. Regardless, but I certainly don't. If he's looking at getting into that rut of three loss seasons or, or more, you know, like three or four loss seasons, and just keeps hanging in there because he can. Um, I, I don't envision that for him. But you know, he said it before. He said it many times. If, if he isn't coaching, uh, he doesn't know what he would be doing, and and that seems to be the case for the foreseeable future, anyway. I mean, I think he knows he's on ESPN broadcast. Like he's clearly comfortable being on television. Like mm-hmm. I think he'd just be an analyst. <laughs> well, I think that's going to be the the transition that ultimately yeah. is is made. And uh, I think ESPN or any of these networks would be thrilled to have him uh, as early as tomorrow, uh, today even. Right. But um, he still has, and you watch him on the practice field. And you know, some things have changed a little bit, but. Yeah, been going out to media viewing periods since he got here in 2007. Um, you know, 13 years later, he's still very, very hands-on, very, very involved uh, in every aspect of a practice. And it starts with the corners and the defensive backs early on and then goes from there. Um, and so, yeah, and, and also I think, you know, recruiting too. Um, he's one of the few guys that you, you see that I think truly enjoys it. Um, it's a grind. I think he loves the competitive aspect of it. He loves understanding the competitive advantage he can give himself based on, you know, what he's able to accomplish on the recruiting trail, say in comparison to the draft in the NFL. So that drives him as well. Um, but I don't know, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if he's put in his, on head, okay, 75 is the cutoff, you know, 75 years old. And, um, you know, that would that would be, a, I would say, if you were going to set a, an over-under or total for him uh, and how many more years or at what point, um, you know, he might be looking to, to go ahead and get to the lake there and Lake Burton and move into television, you know, I would, I would say another four or five years would be a fair number, maybe like five, five and a half. Uh, and I would be interested to see you know, what people think of that type of uh, that type of number. Who starts at quarterback next year? Wow, um, could be a uh, kind of uh, multiple answers to that one. Um, I, I think I think Mac Jones undoubtedly in March open spring practice is the guy 
Uh, I think he certainly earned that designation uh, going into March and April. And probably even if he hadn't been as productive as he was with 1,500 passing yards uh, this season and 14 touchdowns compared to just three interceptions, that would probably still be the administrative grouping, as Satan likes to call it, because he hates the words depth chart so much. But, um, mm. you know, I, I think I think Mac had some validating uh, type performances, even with the big turnovers against Auburn. You know, he kept coming back in that game and making plays. Uh, then against uh, Michigan, uh, it was a very A.J. McCarron-like performance. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a guy that's a rarity now, just like Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is a unicorn and probably not so much even for reasons that people might think he's a unicorn in that he's a fifth year senior that can play at that yeah. type of level. Uh, you, you don't see that anymore. And, you know, Mac's going to be a fourth year junior and there's more value in that than I think a lot of people realize because we've become so used to seeing these guys as freshmen, whether it's Bo Nix, whether it's two, a couple years ago, Jalen hurts a couple of years before that, that just step right in and uh, do big things. Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's, you look at it every year. There's there's another guy coming. It seems like, um, so I think you got to consider Mac the favorite uh, at this point. But um, you know, Bryce Young, it's it's going to be a major storyline for spring practice to see, you know, exactly where this guy kind of slots in in terms of where he's at. Because with Tua, you know, his first spring, even with the success Jalen had had. You walked away from that first spring game with Tua and said, good luck keeping this guy off the field. And that's that's understanding what the success Jalen had had as a starter. You know, Jalen was a starter, and you walked away from that first spring game thinking Tua might be a problem here for Jalen. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see if, if, if it kind of plays out that way with Bryce Young. Um, it would be sensible to feel that that, that similar type of uh, – thing with him because you know he doesn't have to beat out a returning starter you know he, he has to to beat out a guy who played well in in four starts uh but the job is very much wide open mac has the advantage in a couple of different ways but in terms of dynamic playmaking ability and and skill set um you know, bryce young's he, he could be that guy too did you think at all when it was up in the air um with tua that he might actually stay and that it meant a lot to him to come back and win one more ring. Do you think he was wired differently and that maybe there is just more to him than the NFL draft and being an NFL starter or superstar for the next 10 years? Do you think that was ever real? Or do you think, or I guess it's hard to speculate to just knowing what him and Saban and his family and everybody else talked about, but what was your gut on all of that? I think there was a large part of Tua that it was very real. You know, I think in a perfect world, Tua would be back you know, for another year. Um, but I, I think there were other factors that went into the decisions. I think there were, there were, you know, people in his inner circle that definitely played a prominent role uh, in that decision-making process. And if you're an Alabama fan and, you know, you're, you're not exactly happy with Tua because it seemed like in the lead up based on social media and some of those things that it was trending perhaps that way, that, that Tua would come back for another year. Um, if, if, if that, if that didn't sit well with you, um, you know, it, then, then you, you probably wouldn't have liked the decision making process that led to it Alabama in the first place. And that's not, uh, you know, a, a process that is just Tua in and of himself make that call. So, um, you know, I, I felt like Tua needed to go myself um, for a couple different reasons. Uh, and yeah, he's already incurred enough from an injury standpoint at the college level, uh, with this latest injury, I think you got to consider the big picture as well. Uh, how many years are you going to have, uh, for, before potentially you have issues with that hip? In other words, the meters already kind of running, uh, on that situation perhaps. So it, it was the, the most sensible decision, do I believe in his heart of hearts? It's the one that he 100% felt best about making. No, but um, again, you know, kind of in a in a collective uh, 
process there, collective group that was in that, uh, led by his father, Nalu. Um, it, it also was a, uh, a decision that I think you should respect and, and uh, certainly understand. So who, who else is staying? Who's going? There's all kinds of question marks flying up and down. Um, who's, who's staying from the, the group? Um, and then who do you think, who hasn't declared is still going to the NFL draft? Yeah, Dil- Dylan Moses is you know kind of the, 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 the splashiest, I guess you could say, of the, uh, the underclassmen that are coming back, probably more so because you just didn't see him at all. And in, in not being there, it only sort of heightened the awareness of the value <laughs> that Dylan Moses can bring to that defense. And that's not to, to discount the efforts and, and the play of, of a couple of true freshmen and Shane Lee and Christian Harris, because I think they did everything they possibly could to play at a level that, you know, Alabama is accustomed to at those inside linebacker positions. But to get Dylan Moses back, uh, to go along with Devontae Smith, who was a 1,300-yard receiver in 2019, led Alabama in touchdown receptions as well. Alex Leatherwood, the starting left tackle on that offensive line coming back, means uh, you return four of your five starters from uh, the 2019 season. Um so, you know, those are your primary guys. Josh McMillan got a sixth year of eligibility as an inside linebacker. Um, so he comes back, and as we record this, still waiting on um, final word with with Najee Harris, uh, another big one, 1,200-yard uh, rusher, uh, 20 total touchdowns this season. Who was really close uh, really to a guy. Right? Yeah, he was. He is. But, yeah, and that's, I think, part of why there was uh, this sentiment that, that Najee was very likely to go ahead and make the jump. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, that hasn't been the case as of yet. In fact, it seems like the momentum has been more in favor of Najee coming back for his senior year. Um, maybe his his draft uh, his draft grade, is, his response that he got uh, from the advisory committee wasn't exactly what he was looking for. And, you know, a guy who could certainly carry the load while Alabama transitions to its next quarterback. Hmm. Um, does the defense improve next year? Does the guy, um, let me check my notes here, Pete Golding, who I am 99% certain they're exactly zero fans of college football outside of Alabama fans that know what Pete Golding looked like. I, I just, I have no idea what this person looks like. He, he apparently exists. He's real. He's defensive coordinator. A lot of coordinator turnover, a lot of assistant coach turnover, analyst turnover, all that kind of stuff at Alabama in the last couple of years. But is he safe for the kind of season that Alabama had on defense this year? You know, right now he's, he's in Tuscaloosa, or at least he's, he's uh, drawing his mail in Tuscaloosa. And, you know, to be fair to Pete, uh, he had an unprecedented situation in 2019 and, and starting two true freshmen inside linebackers. And that's before you get the injuries along that defensive line. Um, you know, you, you, the front seven in general um, was, was very much uh, victimized by some, some critical uh, injuries there, even before the season. So uh, he had an uphill battle. And so in, in asking about the potential for improvement, it, it all goes back to health. You know, if, if you're going to tell me that Dylan Moses is going to be uh, pre-injury Dylan Moses and, you know, he's going to be intact for you know, 12 regular season games and wherever postseason takes Alabama, that in and of itself, I would go with the defense being improved. That said, you know, whereas your edge guys, your outside linebackers, you were pretty much able to keep on the field. Uh, you got some massive holes to fill there. Anthony Jennings, one of the more undervalued Alabama defenders, uh, probably in the entire Saban era, is moving on. Terrell Lewis moving on to the National Football League. So, you know, they have a stellar group of edge outside linebacker uh, newcomers with this 2020 class, including a couple of three or so that are already on campus. Uh, and they're probably going to need a couple of three of those guys very early on to make an impact. But right up the middle of that Alabama defense where you probably saw as much of a drop-off there as you have uh, at, at other areas of that defense in, in quite a while, 
uh, you know, you get DJ Dale healthy at the nose tackle position. Well, Brian Ray comes back healthy. Um, you, you had a, a class of six defensive line signees in 2019, uh, five of which saw playing time. One of them, uh, the sixth, left the program altogether in Antonio Alfano. Um, those guys continue to come along. Moses back, Josh McMillan back. You got all that playing time for Christian uh, Harris and Shane Lee. You know, right there up the middle of that front seven, you should be better. But, you know, Xavier McKinney's another guy on the back end that, you know, at the safety position, not an easy guy to replace. Uh, a lot of trust in Xavier to run the show from back there. So, um, you know, they, they've got some they've got some issues they still have to clean up on that defense in general. How does next year go? What what do you expect based on Alabama's schedule, where the West is now? Because just Mike Leach now at Mississippi State, Kiffin mm-hmm. at Ole Miss, Chad Morris taking over the offense at Auburn. Um, the SEC West is just a bloodbath. Is it realistic to pencil in Alabama as a playoff, serious playoff contender with their schedule and with what the West looks like next year? Yeah, I think they'll they'll be a contender. I mean, even this year they went into Thanksgiving weekend with at least a, a glimmer of hope of being a CFP team. And, you know, that was without Tua Tonga and the other guys that we sort of outlined. So uh, I think it's realistic to expect that to be the case. Now, yeah, I mean, you open with a USC team with Keaton Slovis, a quarterback that, you know, can can challenge you in some areas where, you're still maybe trying to figure some things out on defense. You get Georgia two weeks later here in Tuscaloosa. Jake Fromm, DeAndre Swift, departures on that offensive line. That helps you if you're Alabama, but you certainly expect Kirby, with the way he's recruited, to sort of you know backfill and, and reload, and you know, you're going to have a grad transfer situation there at quarterback as well. Um, and then you're right. I mean, October is going to be fun just because of the new coaches over in Mississippi. You're going to have Lane Kiffin early in the month. You're going to have Mike Leach late in the month. And then you're going to finish the month with a trip to Knoxville to take on Jeremy Pruitt. So it's a balanced schedule compared to some some previous years. You've got real challenges in September. Um, You've got, uh, I would say, at least potential challenges uh, in October. And certainly when you get to – November and you're looking at that LSU, A&M and Auburn run, uh, you know, that that's when you're really going to find out what you have. So, you know, I think, um, I think Alabama, I would feel safe in saying goes into Baton Rouge very much in play for a college football playoff spot. But, you know, those three games in, in November going to be tough football games. Last thing I lied. Are we sure that Derek King is not going to Alabama. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Derek's coming here. He might end up in the SEC West, somewhere like LSU. Um, but I, I think Alabama's okay with with what it has uh, the quarterback situation. But uh, that was that was uh, I wouldn't say that was shocking news. Maybe to Dana Holderson it was, but um, that had kind of been the anticipated move here is for King to ultimately move on from Houston and, and try to take that game to the power five level. Yeah. I just, I, th- I was thinking just back to Gary Patterson on the broadcast last night saying yeah. mentioning that he was in the portal and all that. And like, he knew something. So I was like, I wonder who he's talking about here. Like, guess who's getting this guy. And it, it was well, be between Alabama thing. Yeah. Between he and Gundy though, they're big 12 guys and they're probably thinking of Oklahoma, yeah. you know, but, um, I think Oklahoma's yeah. got a really promising young quarterback in Spencer Rattler. Yeah. Um, and uh, but you hey, look, you never say never in these days with the portal being the way it is. I mean, it's it's an entirely different game now. I like the portal. I just don't like that everyone knows. I don't think it's fair <laughs> to the kids to put their name in and have like everybody immediately report on where they're going. I think it should all be confidential. Only coaches know. That's it. I think that's how it should be. Yeah, and I think that was the intent, but, you know, those pesky media types, uh, they they develop sources. I think uh, some may even have their own passwords uh, to get in. Really? Are you talking yourself here? No, 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 no. no. I'm not self-incriminating by any means. Okay. But, um, yeah, you know, 
I don't know how you'd go about that. I mean, you'd have yeah. to, I guess, from an access standpoint, um, you know, maybe narrow that down to just a compliance person and, uh, you know, maybe your director of football ops uh, or your director of ops for respective programs. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting question, and uh, I, I'm not sure how they go about fixing that, but the, the word continues to get out. And look, some of these kids, look, the kids put it out there too, a lot of them. So, yeah. you know, if 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 they if they're going to put it out there, then then that's at their discretion. But I'm with you. If a if a kid would rather it be confidential, I, I could get that. But man, it, it's like Eric King last night. It's what the third quarter of the game, and he's blowing it out there on Twitter. You know, so. Um, <laughs> It, it's uh, it's part of it. It seems like, yeah, and it's not going anywhere. Well, this has been great. I've taken way too much of your time today, man. I uh, I really do appreciate it. Appreciate it, Travis. Um, is there anything we should check out from you this week on Bama Online? Well, we're going to be uh, continuing to move into our off season coverage, but there's a lot of hoops. There's a little basketball game in Tuscaloosa Wednesday night between the Auburn Tigers and the Alabama Crimson Tide. So we'll have coverage of that. Continuing the recruiting coverage there at BamaOnline.com. And you can also hear me weekday mornings on Tide109.com, Southern Fried Sports, right here in Tuscaloosa from 11 a.m. until noon. All right, go do that. Travis, keep up the great work, and we'll have to do this again soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by an old friend from 680 The Fan, Nick and Chris. It's, uh, it's Chris Domino. Chris, good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Uh, I am good. As we were talking good. about, uh, we are both in the Atlanta area. And uh, as I record this, staring out into the, the bleak abyss, uh, just, you know, getting through it. I'm just, I'm tired of the rain. I, I'm, I'm tired of it. And as you pointed out, at least it's not really cold. <laughs> But degrees, though. It, it's January, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. See, the problem with that, though, is uh, dressing for this is terrible. And as a guy who I, I know you're like me and appreciate um, dressing up on a daily basis, it is very annoying um, having to decide if it's going to be 60 degrees when you go out or 30 because you go out later. Or, you know what? I just want cold all day long. It's January. Let me wear my pea coats. Let me wear my nice like sweaters and all that kind of stuff. I, I dress amazing when it's cold outside. Uh, Chris, so yeah, I, I want to be able to is, get those fits off. This is just what T-shirt am I going to wear? And if I need to pull a, a hoodie on, I'll do that as well. Radio is an, an incredible thing. I wore a uh, jacket and tie for about eight and a half years in my 20s. Uh, I said, boy, if I can find an occupation where I never have to do that again. And uh, and lo and behold, stumbling, <laughs> stumbling into radio has been a godsend in terms of uh, there's a stack of T-shirts. Let's get ready for work. Yeah, exactly. Who's the best dressed at 680? Oh, uh, that is such a loaded question. <laughs> I, I don't best. I, I don't think best has ever really fallen out of anybody's mouth when they describe mm. it. I, I do believe that uh, Brian Finneran, you know, when he's going to go play golf, he sort of has that whole, look at me, I've got a golf shirt and golf shorts on, uh, mm. steak once in a while when he has things to do afterwards. Like today he had a blazer on and we don't, I got to be honest, I'm not really sure what will compel a man to actually wear a blazer when he didn't have to. Uh, but yeah, Beth is not really, listen, Nick, Nick and I look like, I started, I started the Bill Belichick cut off sleeves pullover thing way before Belichick did. Mm. No, I'm not kidding. And yeah, listen, uh, I've been cutting did sleeves off. Did you cut them yourself? For, oh yeah. For four decades, I've been cutting, cutting sleeves off of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, Beth, Beth Vest is not something that's really talked about. If we lined so up, it would be very easy. Development. No, look, they all make fun of me. I have two daughters. I have 16 and 14-year-old girls. It's like, it's like having three wives. They they imitate me. They throw something. I will say that the they, they are into stealing sweatshirts and T-shirts now. So uh, hmm. I, I'm getting pilfered a little bit more than I thought I would with daughters. But uh, when you go to school, you just want to go to a basketball game and it's sweatshirt time. They know where to go. I, I do have a pretty good collection. Or I did, at least at one point. It's not really in my possession right now. <laughs> um, well, we're going to talk about a little Major League Baseball 
uh, uh, you're very familiar uh, with the, the sport of baseball, and they are going through some rocky times right now. So I wanted to get your perspective on what was handed down yesterday by Rob Manfred um, on the Houston Astros. It's gonna, it seems like it's going to permeate into the Red Sox and potentially other teams, because if you read Jeff Passan's ESPN piece from today, um, the Astros made note that six or eight teams um, were also yeah. cheating. Um, so it just it seems like this is going to continue to get worse and more teams are going to get outed, um, probably not to the severity that um, the Astros did. But then again, the Astros have already been dinged before and they were told that it's going to be much more severe if they are found to have been cheating again. And it seems like Alex Cora is definitely getting fired, especially with his ties to Houston. Um, do you think this continues to get worse? And did you expect the the level, uh, just how powerful of a hammer <laughs> smash that uh, Robin oh, made I, on the Astros? I, I don't think he came down hard enough. I, I thought okay. it was a a gentle whack of the gavel. I mean, I, I didn't think it was close to what could have been done. I mean, I can go through the litany of it. First of all, six or eight teams, I'm not really sure. I do know this. Uh, we had Doug Lanville on our show today, and, and there are guys that I respect that I've been talking to about this this whole time. Uh, I had no doubt in my mind that A.J. Hinch and Luna were going to go away. Now, I wasn't mm-hmm. sure what period of time, but, I, but yeah, I knew they were going to go. And you, you can go back a month and a half ago, and there's recently as last week, I talked about Alex Cora, and I said, well, he's going to go too. And it's not because I was a soothsayer, but when you talk to people and they say, well, that guy's a ringleader, and that was the, the term that was used about Alex Cora, I said, well, you don't get to go and leave. And then the Boston allegations themselves came out, and it just made it a little bit more clear. I, I'm not a big fan of the $5 million fine. Let's start there. That's basically the salaries of Lunau and Hinch. And then but you apparently that's don't the pay. highest they can go, right? Like, that's the highest yeah. in the MLB constitution they can do. Why bother? Um, Insulting. Yeah. <laughs> the, the valuation of the franchise went up 350 to 400 million after they won a World Series. Yes. So it's not about money. And the not having to pay the draft picks that you took away more than cover with the $5 million fine is by not having yeah. to pay the salaries of two and then the draft picks that you're not going to make. I thought you'd take away free agency for a year or two. Now, as mm. I mentioned with Doug Landville today, Players Association would lose their minds because it's only 29 right. teams bidding, but I don't care. Here's what I would tell the Players Association. There are enough of you that knew this was going on here, there, and it's going to be other places as well, so I don't want to hear it. I'm literally going to say I don't want to hear it if I'm the commissioner. They're going to lose free agency for at least a year. And then uh, on top of that, I, you know, Crane gets a pass, although I don't think he's supposed to, because when these allegations started back in 17, you've got to bring in the adults into the room and say, you've got to tell me everything. And you can't say that you didn't do that or not doing that gives you a pass. I got a lot of other problems. I'm, you know, whether it's interesting. Well, it's not, it's not interesting because they said it wasn't interesting when he gave his speech yesterday. This is not who we are. That's fine. But if you're the guy who you are, it's like, no, we, we just found that's who you are. That's why you just got levied the penalty. This like, this is who you are. And, but the problem again is I think they were a little bit too quick. I'm not telling you the investigation wasn't as thorough as it needed to be to come down with a decision before spring training actually starts. But again, you know, I call it lack of institutional control. The adults are supposed to be punished more than the kids. And I don't mean that uh, disparagingly when you talk about 18 to 22 year olds, but I've always said the coaches, the ADs, the boosters are supposed to get hit harder than, than the kids. But the fact that players don't pay a price in this one is really strange to me as well. Carlos yeah. Beltran, there's no doubt in my mind. He was another name that was given to me months ago. So he gets to be the manager because he was a player then. And you know, the Mets, I don't know if they have to answer to this or they not. He's I don't know if that's settled either. We'll see. I, I, I don't know because again, I think with it, it's how much stench do you want and, and yeah. how much can you actually stomach? And I don't know if the Mets are going to say, look, we've talked to Carlos about this before he speaks to the media and he has assured us and blah, 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 blah. Uh, everybody's got a story to tell. Mike Fires, you know, I don't know if he's a hero. I don't know if he's a snitch. Maybe he's a little bit of both. Maybe he's mostly in between. You know, I sort of come from a neighborhood where you just keep it quiet. He certainly didn't say anything after he collected his ring. He didn't say anything when he got his World Series bonus check. So let, let's not make him out to be this bastion of all that is good. But I will tell you, he's important. And he's going to be a name that as a player, nobody really knew about or cared much about. But he's going to have a page in the annals of baseball history. And, and uh, you know, if that's a good thing, that's fine. I'll let everybody decide on their own. 
but the idea that you actually took the fruits of it and didn't pay a price yourself, knowing you know damn well you're in the middle of it, is ridiculous. And, and I'm going to tell you another guy that I'm hacked off at, and I he and I went at it a few a number of years ago. Roy Oswalt, I just saw that he put out there. Well, look, you can do this, and you get fired, which is you can cheat. Although he you know, this, this is beyond cheating. This is breaking rules. I, I know what stealing science is. You know what stealing science is. You know what you can't do and what you can't do. But, but Roy Oswald says, well, you, you get caught cheating and you're banned from the game, yet you do steroids and you make millions upon millions of dollars. Now, Roy Oswald said something a number of years ago, and he and I actually went at it at spring training. And he said that, you know, it's the equivalent of these steroid guys are taking food off my plate, money out of my pocket. Well, I, I point out, I pointed out to him, and then he heard about it, which is why we actually, I guess, talked about it. I said, what if, what if you turn to your left and your right, and somebody who hit a three-run home run to put you up 5-1 to put food on your plate and money in your pocket, or a relief pitcher comes out and saves a game for you, is doing steroids. Like, why, don't, why did he live in a world where nobody would use the Astros or anybody else that he needed? You know, where did they get a pass? And he, and he this many years later, still hasn't learned a lesson. I, I just don't. I don't understand the, you know, you want to turn a blind eye. That's one thing. You want to turn a blind eye and start chirping about it. I got a problem with that one. And and it's kind of funny. I haven't thought about him in a long time, but, but his tweet yesterday got me thinking that this guy still hasn't learned that uh, you might not have done it. And I believe that there are a lot of guys who didn't do it, but if you benefited from people on your team doing it and you knew they did it, or at least you had a suspicion they did it and you didn't come forward at that point to, to talk about it. You don't have a story at this point. That's my opinion. You don't get to tell a story walking at this point. Yeah. Um, and they I, should have taken was... the trophy. They should have physically yeah. taken the trophy out of Houston. Just just say, look, it's like the Heisman for Reggie Bush. I know you want it. I, know, I don't I, think I know that's the, the same. I, don't, I wouldn't say those are the same. Because Reggie Bush didn't cheat on the field. He was still no, no, no. I'm talking about the trophy yeah. physically. Yeah. You, don't, you don't get to keep it. You're going to hand it back to us. They took his painting, I believe, off the wall at the Heisman places. They did, yeah, so, I think so. So I'm telling the Houston Astros, you know, we don't have a record book that way, although there's official, you know, nobody really cares about paper anymore. But you could do what the NCAA did. It was vacated. Leave it blank. But I want the trophy. You don't get a chance to parade that in your offices. And I think the same thing should happen for the Boston Red Sox when they're found guilty. Yeah, um, that was something Passon mentioned, and the Dodgers obviously like. And that was the other thing is like none of the teams are allowed to comment on this. Like that was the other weird stuff is that Jim Crane. Well, who wants to hold, hold, hold it? Hold it. Who wants to comment on this? You have no idea before or during your regime what might have been going on, or you do yeah. know what went on. And why in holy hell? Look, AJ Hinch had a bad moment. It's caught on video. It's all over the place when he was asked about the whistling, and he called it ridiculous. Yeah, what was ridiculous is you thought you could use whistling with crowd noise. You had to go to banging a banging a trash can. <laughs> the whistling idea was so ridiculous. So mm-hmm. it's like Twitter. I tell my daughters, there's no such thing as delete. Somebody's got it all. And, and every A.J. Hinch moment of denying this, and you don't want to speak to this if you're a team. Thank God. Put, put, a, put a sock in all their mouth is, mouths because it'll only get worse. Yeah, and maybe that's what Manfred's doing. It's just to protect you. It's like don't for now. do something. Yeah, for now. Yeah, I I think Crane should like. I think they. I don't know how this works, and especially with all these different billionaires. But like, I think there should be a conversation about whether or not he should be forced to sell the team, just due to like what you were talking about the negligence. Where it's like, I don't think that's a real excuse with what he said, and that I didn't like the whole. I didn't know either. You knew and you didn't care, or you somehow didn't know all this stuff was going on in your organization for years. So why were you this? Like, this is your team. You own this team. How do you not know? Well, like, the $5 how, how million is, dollars is supposed to be his punishment. That's no, what they're saying. You, you had a yeah. $5 million, you had a $5 million problem. And that's the number that they can attach to it. But again, if I'm crane or if I'm asking, did you ever call these guys in the office? And did you demand to know what was going on? And if you didn't do anything then in terms of discipline, Get off your high horse when you fire them today and say this isn't what we're about. Because you either didn't get to the bottom of it or you didn't care to. And what is it they say? You're either too stupid and didn't know you're fired, or you knew and you decided to try to play dumb to us, therefore you're fired. It is tougher with an owner, but teams have been forced to the block. Uh, I I just don't look. Whether Jim Crane is supposed to have to sell the team or not, I, I don't care. I don't think you're supposed to say he's been exonerated in all this just because he was the one that was speaking at a press conference. Because, again, 
he's the ultimate adult. And, and here's the analogy I used on another uh, show yesterday when all this stuff was breaking. I have, again, I have daughters. And if my 16 year old has a bunch of kids over, uh, and if there's booze in my house and there is, if somebody gets into the booze, that's a me problem, but it's not the same problem as me taking the booze out of the cabinets, putting in glasses and putting a sign that says, drink me on it. As they all start coming over to my house, there's different levels of culpability. What I think happened here is they took the booze out. They put it in a glass and they said, drink me. So, and look, I don't know what players didn't want signals or signs. I don't know who did. I don't think you're supposed to be rat thinking out everybody in every organization, because quite honestly, it's not good for your future living and earnings. But, but my biggest thing in all this, and this really is the sticking point for me, no one's going to ever convince me unless you're an incredible debater that what Pete Rose did is worse than this, because this is truly the integrity of the game. It's championships at stake. What Roy Oswald got wrong when he told me people were stay, taking food off his plate, uh, I'm telling you that this is worse for the integrity of the game because I, I know they play for money and they play for pride and to be on baseball cards and TV, but they also play for championships. And when you change how a player is going to be looked at forever, when Joe Girardi gets fired because he didn't beat a team in the postseason, you can't tell me you just didn't flip the integrity of the game on its side. And remember this, baseball loves that integrity of the game they have no right to do that after the 94 World Series was canceled. To me, they lost the ability to talk about the integrity of the game. But this is so much worse than what Pete Rose did. Even if Pete Rose you know, bet on the Reds to win, even if he bet on the Reds to lose, this is worse. This is controlling the outcomes of seasons. This is getting people less money. This is getting people fired. This is getting people more money. You can't do that. That absolutely not only, you know, change the playing field, it's not level in a lot of ways to begin with, but you can't have me think that a guy who puts eight years into the bigs and had an opportunity, an opportunity to win a World Series that was diminished because of what was going on by an organization. Sorry, you, you did a hell of a lot more than Pete Rose calling a bookie to try to figure out if the Reds were going to go over seven and a half on a given Tuesday. Do you think this affects ratings at all next year? No, I no. I, look, I think gamblers have a problem with it. I think the mm. Dodgers should have a problem with it. I think everybody but lost. You don't think the general public necessarily does. No, no. Well, it's not great. Again, there is such a thing as integrity. I just don't like baseball throwing it around. Of course, there's a thing where you go, "Wow, I'm less apt to know how clean this game is." You know, with the steroids, what is it we said? We don't know what's real. Well, you don't know what's real in this either. You just don't. And and. Do I think it affects viewership? No. Listen, baseball could use a little bit more excitement. Baseball wishes it was bet on the way that some of these other sports, especially football and college football, was bet on. Uh, I have no, you know, I'm not, I'm not a prima donna. I, I have no problem with gambling at all. But I do think that when you talk about a Donaghy in, in the NBA or you talk about bad officiating and people go, hey, what do you think about that? That's where people, if they don't think they're getting treated square, that's one thing. I don't think it affects, uh, affects general viewership, though, the way that you know, am I going to watch less Braves games? No. Do I think most guys are going to watch less Yankee games? No. Do I think once the national games start, people go, hey, you know what? This sport's a little bit dirtier than I thought. Am I going to watch? No. And I don't think it works like that. Because if that was true, the New England Patriots would have no ratings. And they That's do. True. Um, transitioning away from that, do you, Donaldson's still out there. Do you, based on what you've heard and what your gut's telling you, do you think he actually still ends up in Atlanta or do you think he ends up in Washington? I always thought the longer it went, the better chance the Braves had. I also am on the record as saying a number of weeks ago that at the beginning when I heard four-year deals from multiple teams, I didn't believe it. Uh, I think that's really good spin and agent talk, and I do think that you try to get people to bid against each other or bid against themselves. So that's what an agent's supposed to do. I ain't angry about it, but it wasn't buying what was being sold. So I think the longer it goes on, the better chance the Braves have because things being close to equal, whatever that is, I think Donaldson really would like to be back here. You know, I, I think there is a point where he goes, this is what I have, but you're going to have to now, Santopoulos is not dumb. You know, these guys aren't supposed to collude and talk to each other, and I don't think that's what really happens. I don't think you can call owner X and say, how much did you really offer him? Because I want to I want to go a dollar more than you. You can't do that, but I think you're supposed to have a general understanding of what's real and what's not. Uh, I thought it was going to be at most a three-year deal here, maybe a fourth-year option. You know, I'm on the record of saying I think the DH is in here in two years anyway, so maybe that affects 
what you're willing to do in terms of length of a contract with a guy like him, but we'll see. Um, I, I just think, yeah, I think the longer it goes, the better chance the Braves have. Would you rather go four years with Donaldson or give up uh, a lot of prospect capital for Chris Bryant or Nolan Arenado? Uh, if I'm only getting two years out of those guys, I got to figure out what it is I want to do. Um, you know, money is just money. It's not prospects. So I, I think Arenado is a better player. And I certainly understand I'd have to give up some to get more. Uh, but, but if you told me the package was right, at the end of the day, it's funny because Jeff Luna is the guy I quote all the time, prospects for parades. You know, you got to trade prospects for a parade. And I do believe yes. that. I'm a little tired of the abundance of what it is I keep hearing that we have when I don't necessarily see it on the field. Well, if you know, like <laughs> the Braves, like just the way fans have looked at just certain guys. Remember Colby Allard? And now he's just gone. And um, Tuki Toussaint and what he's going to be. And he's probably just a bullpen guy for like the majority of prospects, especially in the pitching department, don't work out like that. If you have most 10, of you them are not going to work out. If you have 10, you have to. That's, the, yeah. that's usually the simple math. And, and by the way, not really anybody has 10. I'm just talking about 10 live bodies that people actually talk about. If you have the Yankees years, have never developed anyone. They wouldn't like it. Just it doesn't happen. They just well, go twenty years without it. There's three guys that the Braves drafted since 1990 that have 50 wins for the Braves. Really? So roll that one around your head. Yeah, Millwood's one of them. Remember, Jason Schmidt was traded. Uh, you know, a few guys were traded, but I think it's since 1990. I think it's Kevin Millwood. It might be Entire Urgent came over from Detroit. Julio. Tehran was a buy or a draft, and I'm missing somebody else. Because it was right oh after Avery God. came up. Yeah, it's three. Huh. So, look, it's, it's, it's hard to be a real prospect and win 50 games for an organization, I guess. I don't know if that's a good number or a good ratio compared to other teams, but I can tell you every time I keep hearing about what the future of somebody is, I say, well, good, let me see it. Oh, wait, you can't see the future. So all it is is conversation at that point. Yeah, it, it. I would. I just. I wish. They go look at when you when we get off. Go look at Braves pitching leaders all the time, and then go to the number fifty and above, and then start counting. Uh, again, I didn't win fifty games here. It's fifty wins for the Atlanta Braves, and it's three guys since nineteen ninety. Hmm. Um. Yeah. In your opinion, are the Yankees the favorite going into twenty twenty? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because I think. Uh, you know, I think Stanton is probably the forgotten guy and uh i i i know what i wanted a year or so ago i would love to trade it for him like aaron Otto. just eat some of the money and let me figure out what i have to give you and give me the bat that i'm looking for in the middle of the lineup i think stanton's sort of an x factor that it's amazing that you can be that guy and sort of be the guy that's not spoken about enough but i think him coming down close to healthy is is ridiculous and and you certainly know offensive firepower than adding cole they, they got to find another pitcher uh, bullpen should be just fine. They need another starter or two, but yeah, I think I think they're the favorite. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, who do you think? Just looking at the landscape, and who? I mean, the Astros are excused from this conversation now. But who do you think had the best winner, and who do you think had the the worst winner? Uh, oh, uh, you know, the Cubs really haven't done anything. So is that a bad winner? You know, you're paying for you Darvish and Jason Hayward. Are you going to get it out of them and go look? That was like. Uh, Reacquiring guys who we just need to be better. So I think it might be the Cubs. Mm, just didn't I like that. do anything. And then I, I'd like to believe, because I'd like to see Mike Trout playing meaningful games, I'd like to think the Angels um, with Rendon might actually change. You know, they also did a couple of things with, with smaller priced arms. I, it's probably a dark horse, because I don't know if anybody else will say it, but I'll say the Angels. You know, maybe maybe it's time that they start to cycle up a little bit. Maybe it's a wish. And I like Rendon a lot. And I know because he was on the Nationals, I wasn't supposed to like him. Uh, but I liked a bunch of guys on that team. I, I, You know, short of another team in the division here winning a World Series before the Braves do, that's not a great feeling. But I, I never really had a problem with Harper. I really like Jason Worth. Uh, I like Scherzer. I thought Rendon was really good to sit down and talk to. So uh, I think Rendon might actually quietly bring the Angels a little bit of something that that for $245 million you expect to get, but he, he might actually be able to pull it off. So I'll say the Angels. Okay. I like what the White Sox and Reds have done. Yeah. And look, the White Sox are interesting because it certainly seems biggish. And in, a, in an offseason, I just claimed the Cubs did less than nothing, which yeah. is what they did. 
they, they've been the stepchild for way too long over there. I, I think it's maybe about time uh, that they, you know, they wanted to give Machado money. I think they wanted to give Harper money. They just didn't want it. That's, they signed like, his brother-in-law. Just yeah, to it's where you go to die. <laughs> but it's kind of it's kind of where you go to die. There's nothing really. There's nothing great going on there. It's Chicago, but it's like Chicago light. It's like Chicago, whatever. Because um, they've taken a backseat to the Cubs. They had to go in. It, it's you're right. They added talent. I'm just not so sure I'm going to buy it until I see it on the field for of course, a couple of months. Well, Chris, this has been great. I appreciate, as always, uh, you taking the time. Um, is yeah, what did we, we what did we learn today? What did we learn today? That <laughs> Rob Manfred thought he wielded a hammer. He thought he was mm-hmm. Thor, but I don't think he really was. I think that's what we sort of learned today. I think so. I think so. Um, well, <laughs> I appreciate it. And um, no problem. to you Monday through Friday. Um, oh, yeah. Chris, that's true. what time can that's we listen true. to you? That's 9 to 12. We're oh, okay. We're there. Yeah, 680 AM, 93.7 FM. And, uh, and yeah, just start a podcast. Just yeah, exactly. That I, was the other thing on my notes. I uh, Yes, tell us about your podcast where you're going back through baseball history <laughs> and everything. Um, yes, go, go yeah, tell just us. Just real quick, I, I was a guy who said no for about four or five years because I said there's too many of them. Uh, it's all being done or it's all been done. Why, why, why? Uh, I ran a couple of minutes of a Stan Usual uh, interview on a Saturday morning, and later that day, a 42-year-old, as he told me, a self-professed baseball fan said he had never heard Stan Usual speak, and I said, well, that's kind of interesting. I said, well, that probably makes sense, too. So I got a hold of a couple of people. I said, what do you think of this? And they said, you know, podcasts are easy now. It's like one button pushing. You can go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, and all you got to do is like type in the name of whatever it is, and lo and behold, it pops up. So I'm on all those things. I, I think they're called uh, providers, and it's called, <laughs> yeah. it's called Hardball Podcast, the first episode uh-huh. of Sam Usual. Phil Rizzuto came out today, and Rizzuto, I'm just saying this, and I wrote it, so I'm not just saying it here one of my top five conversations of all time. Like being a guy who grew up in the Northeast, not even a Yankee fan, I really believe, and it took me a year and a half to book him. Like it was just a long, he was done doing interviews. He was 83 or 84 years old. And he just said, I don't do them anymore. So persistence paid off. And I don't think, like I called it hardball back then as well. I don't think the series would have been complete without him. He's funny. He's sharp. He's uh, reflective. He's, if you get a chance, even if you listen to none others and, Ted Williams, Whitey Ford, Duke Snyder, Rod Carew, George Brett, Johnny Bench, they're all coming at some point. But if you want to know, like, a guy that I just said, this was so everything I wanted to be, uh, Rizzuto is every bit as much as that as anybody I've ever spoken to. All right. Well, uh, go check that out. I'll check it out. Um, keep up the great work, sir. And, Appreciate uh, it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Listen. All right. Go do your work now. Please. Go. Go. Go do some things right now. Go be productive. Go out into the world. I'm always productive. productive. What is happening? I'm always productive, Chris. All right. I think it was just more encouragement. I didn't say you're not. I didn't call you a slacker. Just <laughs> everybody. Everybody listening. Just go out and do something. Yeah. Get off go your do ass. Stuff. Go do something. Create create yeah. content. Go Get out yeah, there. I know exactly, it's gross exactly. in Atlanta. Go do, go do something. something. All right. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right, Jason. We'll see you. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, It helps the show continue to grow, and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, You can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. For as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. You could go to ChaseThomasPodcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need, um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.